welcome to the Marvelous Post Blip Podcast, a podcast on all things Marvel on the Fangirl Zone. I am Mischievous Dave. I'm Sean Fangirl S. And I'm Steve, and today we're talking about episode one of season one of Moon Knight, titled The Goldfish Problem, written by Jeremy Slater and directed by Mohammed Diab. So what did everybody think? I was pleasantly surprised because I didn't know anything about Moon Knight except somebody I know happens to cosplay him all the time. I was just not sure what to expect. And so I kind of dig how it's going. It's like already starting with a lot of weirdness. So I'm down with yeah. weird. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to miss the Stephen Grant show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Steve? Oh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Definitely like how poor Steve just has no idea of what's going on. <laughs> it was pretty comic. Yes. You strap yourself in bed and you still find yourself somewhere <laughs> thousand, thousand miles away. And it's like, yeah. what the hell's going on here? <laughs> yeah. I got a feeling we're going to see less of, of Stephen Grant, which is a shame because <laughs> he's so funny and uh, no pun intended, but a fish out of water episode always <laughs> seems to work well. Yes. Go fish out of water. There you go. <laughs> I know we're not rating them, but if I did, I would give you three out of five ankle restraints. <laughs> yeah, but I'm glad. I'm, but I'm also upset it's only six episodes. And what are they going to do? That's a lot of, there's a lot to cover. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, Dave, are you a fan of this comic? Because I know you're the big comic book fan out of us. Yeah, I subscribe to Moon Knight right now. And I used to, I picked it up in college, which was many, many moon nights ago. <laughs> and I found it a really intriguing character. He's so different than your normal superhero. I don't know how they're going to mix this guy into the greater Marvel universe, but I guess they are. There's clues that they are. Yep. And uh, currently, Moon Knight, current comic, he just went through, he just got, <laughs> just got beat up a little. He got beat up a couple of times. And now he has a brother that also acts like a fist of Conchu, a moon knight. And they don't like each other. <laughs> But one of them just saved the other. I'm not going to spoil it. So I guess they're going to find a way to work together. Oh, and uh, vampires are back in the current iteration of, of Moon Knight. He has a, I'll spoil this, he has a secretary that's a vampire. Oh, great. <laughs> when he, yeah, when he's Mr. Knight, he runs a business helping people in the neighborhood. Yeah, that's definitely different than what we're seeing right now. So, I mean, yeah. that could be way, way in the future. Again, only six episodes. I don't know how they're going to fit all that stuff in there. Didn't we see indications that Mr. Knight, which is the guy in the white suit and the white mask instead of Moon Knight, sitting around? Or didn't we see him in Teaser? did see the white suit, but I didn't know that was one of the other, like, Yeah, that's sonas. Mr. Knight. I'm, like, trying yeah. to think the right word. <laughs> yeah, yep. Personalities. Kinda, yeah, I will tell you, too, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole trying to find stuff and unfortunately i kept finding the same things and i'm like oh i want something new what else is in there so i didn't see a lot of that so apparently i was following the wrong rabbit it's all the same <laughs> but one thing i did see which i thought was interesting which obviously when we get into this you'll understand a little more that apparently he has personalities based on spider-man and wolverine or at least at some point in the comics he did so I thought that was interesting. I'm like, wait, are they going to throw in Deadpool? Because if they throw in Deadpool somehow, that's how I think it would be an interesting way to bring him into the greater universe. Because yep. you mentioned vampires, and I've been reading stuff about Deadpool possibly bringing in one of Deadpool's love interests at some point who was a vampire. So 
<laughs> I'm like, that's a wow. way to do it. That's a long walk, but it's yeah. possible. Well, he operates in New York City, and he just crossed paths in a Daredevil short run called uh, Devil's Reign. I just finished the fifth issue with six out of six, coincidentally, too. And he got captured by the bad guys. That's Moon Knight, that is, and then broke himself out of jail. Well, he wasn't I mean, a, they did bring yeah. all of the Defenders and stuff into official Disney Plus stuff. So yeah, maybe yeah. that's how they're going to do it. Maybe that's <laughs> why it was waiting to be released. You never know. Like I said, long walk. You never know. Yeah. But why don't you tell us a little bit about the story now that we've gone totally to the left and around the block and back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, he's Mark's a former U.S. Marine struggling with disassociative identity disorder or DID. And he's granted the powers of an Egyptian moon god, but he soon finds out that these newfound powers can be both a blessing and a curse to his troubled life. Yeah, he doesn't have enough going on. No. Right? <laughs> so our little recap, we have Stephen Grant learning that he may be a superhero. Big question <laughs> mark there. But he may also share a body with a ruthless mercenary. And just from what we were talking about, there are going to be a whole lot of people in there. So who knows? Yeah. <laughs> And he's got some crazy after him. <laughs> oh, my God. I was talking before we started. Yes, and we will get to it. But Ethan Hawke. Oh, my gosh. He looks so different from everything I've ever seen him in. So weird. Sorry. Yeah. Some, some <laughs> reviewers gave him low mark. They don't like the character. I'm like, huh? I didn't get that. We'll have to wait to see how it develops. Right. Some people have seen four of the teasers already or DVD. They get, what do they call them? The DVDs in advance. Oh, screeners. Screeners, yeah. So they, they thought it, the Harold character was kind of meh. I'm like, oh, really? Oh, well. <laughs> All right. Stephen Grant wakes up and undoes his makeshift sleep restraints before checking in on his one-finned goldfish friend, Gus, while leaving a voicemail for his mom. Mama's boy much? <laughs> yeah. I wonder if we're ever going to see or hear her. I got a feeling not. She might be just dodging his calls. Yes. <laughs> oh, see, I have a question about that for you guys, which I was going to ask later, but I can ask now. I'm wondering if mom's even a person. Like, I mean, I know a mom, but <laughs> like, or is he literally leaving voicemails for himself, not knowing so he can know what's going on daily? I don't think he's leaving them to himself. He'd probably get the message if he did. Well, different but, phone. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I think that that could be a possibility. I just got the impression his mom likes ignoring him, ignoring him as much as anyone else. <laughs> yeah. And because he has so many personalities, who is his yeah. real mom? Yeah, I know. Is it really Mark Spector's mom or is it just some poor woman he keeps calling? Yes. <laughs> That's why I was thinking this was a way he set up to let himself know what's going on. I, I can may be see him doing that. In the future, but once he really realizes what's going on, but at this point in the show, I don't think so. All he knows is, yeah, he's strapping himself in bed so he doesn't sleepwalk. You know, that's <laughs> what he's think he's thinking he's doing is just yeah. sleepwalking. Now, of course, he's been sleeping terribly, and what terrible luck! Nearly misses the bus, making himself late to work once again. Seeing a child mistake the Great Pyramid of Giza for a rubbish dump, Stephen takes the opportunity to enlighten her with some historical ancient Egyptian tidbits. In the process of mummification, most of the organs would be removed except for the heart. Oh boy. <laughs> you think a little child should be hearing this? <laughs> I thought it was interesting. Oh, and yeah. I thought it was great because we got an Easter egg here that it was up on the wall, that QR code. That was next right. to the mummy, 
And it's a real one. So if you scan it, you get a digital copy of Werewolf by Night, which was, I think they said it's the introduction of Moon Knight. So I thought it was really cool that they put that in there. I'm going to have to turn in my geek badge. I didn't check it. (laughs) I didn't either. I found it online. I will be honest. But again, just something little in the background that you don't even think about. Right. So somebody was smart enough to scan it. There you go. The ancient Egyptians believed the heart was necessary in order to be judged in the underworld. I think we'll see that come into play later on in this episode. Only the worthy were permitted to pass into the fields of reeds. Unfortunately for Stephen, his boss, Donna, isn't impressed. He's never going to be promoted to a tour guide, as he can't even fill his current duties at the gift shop. She was a jerk. Yes, she was. (laughs) No matter, turns out he has a date with a colleague tomorrow night, even if he doesn't remember setting it up. Curious. (laughs) I don't know how he did it either, really. I'm trying to think back on it. Like, So, I guess it's Mark, but does Mark work there too? Yeah, the only possibility, I guess, unless there's more personalities in there. If it was Mark, he can't be working there because they can't have two of the same guy walking around. <laughs> exactly. And what's a vegan going to eat at a steakhouse? Obviously, salad or bread, Donna. Oh, yeah. God, that attitude. I'm like. Oh, she laughing. was just. Yeah. <laughs> uh, chewing the gum and snapping it, too, while she's being a jerk. It's like, how many of us can relate to a craptastic boss? Yep. Sometimes in our life. Yeah. Especially retail. Yep. (laughs) I could go down that rabbit hole myself. We've talked about it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So, in an acute scene, Steven explains to his friend Crawley, the street performer, his body is restless. It's why he works so hard to stay awake each night. However, this would all certainly be a red flag for any potential girlfriend, so he best nip all of us in the bud. Back home, Stephen listens to meditation app trying to stay awake with some puzzles and some light reading on Egyptology and the Neid. Suddenly, Stephen wakes up outside somewhere in the Alps with a broken jaw. Unsure how he got there. It was so funny, too. Yes. <laughs> He's like, oh. Unsure how he got there. It so did- comical, the way his yeah. jaw. It reminded me of Evil Dead. Like, yeah. the way Ash always had, like, his face all messed up. I'm like, what <laughs> is going on with that weird square jaw? <laughs> Unsure how he got there, a disembodied voice booms out of nowhere, telling him to go back to sleep and surrender the body to Mark. Stephen finds an intricately carved golden scarab beetle in his pocket. Before he can make any sense of anything, a group of men with guns begin to pursue him toward an alpine village. I I've love it this. first. Yeah. When he he waves to the guy, the guy waves back. <laughs> yeah. I uh, love that. Because then the other uh, guy's like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He comes across a, oh, I know. He comes across a a congregation forming around a mysterious man and does his best to blend in. This man, Arthur Harrow, exclaims it's their mission to make Earth as much like heaven as possible. You're dead. I I always understood it. He seeks volunteers to offer their souls for judgment to serve their goddess Amit before she wakes. As volunteers make their way up, Harrow places his crocodile cane into their palm as his scales tattoo begins to shift on his skin. That was a little spooky. Yes, it was. One believer is deemed a good man, as decreed by the scales. However, another follower is deemed unworthy. The scales the see everything. lady. <laughs> Not what she do. Yeah. Unfortunately for her, she won't live to see the world they're going to make together as her soul is taken. Harold spots Stephen in the crowd. He wants the, the mercenary to return the scarab. Stephen is shocked. He's no mercenary. Just a museum clerk from London. Stephen can't control his body from acting on its own, and he doesn't want to give Harrow the scarab. As he blacks out, he's confused to how his fists are bloodied 
with bodies of injured men surrounding him. I think he killed that woman, too. <laughs> he blacks out. Not the old woman, the young woman. Yeah. He blacks out again and wakes up behind the wheel, caught in the middle of a dangerous van chase in, in the Alps. Stephen is startled, awake in his bed. His restraints are still on his door and his tape, and the circle of Sandron's bed is undisturbed. Phew, it was all just a dream. Yeah, or was it? Yeah. (laughs) You know, when he says later, Gator, a couple of times to his mother, I thank God, what is it? Damn it. Yeah. It has an alligator head. Yes. And it was hilarious how he wanted so hard to give. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't know he was a comic actor. (laughs) No. (laughs) Yes. Very comical. Again, much again. Reminded me of Ash in the Evil Dead series. And the the chase. Crazy hand. Yeah. The chase with the in the cupcake truck. Oh my yeah. gosh, that was insane. Because I'm thinking, first of all, that truck can move that fast. And yeah. then everything that happened and the logs and the timing, I'm like, what? The cupcake rolling down the street ahead of him. Yeah. <laughs> and what was it a little old lady in that, that other truck that flipped? Oh, off? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the finger. That was kind of funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> we forgot to mention in the very beginning, though, that we do get to see Haro. We don't see his face. But that weird opening. Oh, yeah. Like he, yeah. Like, glass and the sandals. Yeah, yeah. Like drinks some water, then breaks it. And I'm like, at first I'm thinking, okay, is this some weird ritual? And then when he puts the glass in his sandals, I'm like, oh, my God. Yes. yes was... I totally understand. It's acting. It's not actual glass going in the sandals. And he's not putting his feet on glass. But the freaking sound effect and just the visual. Yeah. It's like, oh, uh, uh, uh. It's like, <laughs> I was cringing. And I know my toes were like curling up like, oh, God, that hurt. <laughs> yeah, self-flagellism. There was a movie. I forgot what, what it was. The there was some pre- it. Is that it with the uh, that barbed wire thing on the guy's on leg? The thigh, yeah, and then yeah. he, oh, he would use yeah. like a cat of nine tails. So, yeah. yeah. Which happened to be Paul Bettany, who is part of the MCU. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Way to bring it around, Dave. Good. Ch- good. Yeah, see? We're at the <laughs> rabbit hole that time. Well, like we said, Stephen woke up from his crazy dream, and he's all out of sorts. Well, so are we, because we don't know exactly what's real and what's not, right? And sitting there having cereal, talking to his fish, Gus, and then, er, hold on a second, Gus has two fins. Like, what is happening? This is weird. So, of course, he's freaking out about that, and so am I, because I'm like, this doesn't seem right. And he next is seen at the steakhouse, sitting there. And I'm feeling a little bad for him because the waiter's like, are you going to be alone? It's like, oh, (laughs) ow. (laughs) But when he calls his date, he learns she's pretty ticked off that he stood her up. And he's like, what are you talking about? It's Friday. And she's like, it's Sunday. I was there two days ago and had a steak. And he's like, come on, that's not funny. And again, feeling kind of bad. Not exactly swingers. This is a very awkward phone call bad. But I felt bad for him. Sure. He is dejected and confused at the loss of time. And Stephen discovers things just don't seem to make sense. Now, I love when he he goes back into his apartment and we happen to see that garbage can filled with the tape. Right. Okay. Are you keeping track of how many are actually in there? That's really the thing. Right. But Stephen discovers scratches on the floor of his loft. And he looks up and he sees a loose panel on the ceiling. And of course... What are you going to do? Whatever you sane person does, you're going to investigate. Stephen ends up finding a key as well as a cell phone. Both items don't belong to him. Dun, dun, dun. The mystery deepens. So he powers up the cell phone and Stephen discovers over 50 missed calls from a woman named Layla. With the phone powered on, Stephen receives an incoming call from Layla, who is astonished that he's alive. 
She's been texting and calling him for months. I'm like, month? Oh my gosh. Steven explains that he just discovered the phone in his flat and you must have me confused with someone else. And I'm thinking, oh, this is really weird. And she's mad. And she's like, why do you have an accent? (laughs) He's telling you this isn't my phone. So that would probably be why somebody has an accent. But Stephen has no idea why she just called him Mark. And he keeps asking. But before he can get any answer, she hangs up on him. And suddenly we hear a voice, disembodied voice, all creepily, telling Stephen, you need to stop. Otherwise, you're going to get yourself in trouble. It's like, oh, what? What? Yeah. (laughs) Hold on a minute here. And then he catches his reflection in the mirror, but it wasn't quite doing what he was doing. That creeped me out. Yes. The whole mirror <laughs> thing, because I've seen that in horror movies too. It was weird, especially when reflection shakes his head. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, oh. <laughs> and then, of course, we get the horror movie scenario where the lights all start to flash and things are falling and, and like everything shaking. I'm like, wait, is there, do they get earthquakes in London? <laughs> <laughs> But instead of staying, he runs out and he's running down the hall and into the elevator where he sees a ghastly shrouded figure with a large beak menacingly approaching him. I was freaking out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it was cool. Horror movie. And it's like he couldn't get down to the first floor. Yeah. And the old lady (laughs) trying to get into her apartment as fast as she can because she was (laughs) weirded out by Well, I don't blame her. I was weirded out. And next thing we know, he screams awake, and he's on a crowded bus. Well, that's awkward. He realizes that it's not just a dream, or at least he doesn't think it is, as he spots the creature on the street, runs off the bus, and who do we see that was on that same bus? Haro. Which is like, wait, how did he find him so quick? Okay, (laughs) even if he said his name and says he works at a shop in London or a museum, you can't tell me there's one. Right. Come on. That just seems... I don't know, a little too convenient. Yes, absolutely it did. But <laughs> if this guy, as, cr- as crazy as Haro is, apparently he's got followers everywhere, not just in his little village. So I guess that makes sense, especially with what we see next. But it's like, yes, <laughs> that, that was just strange. I thought they had followed him back from Switzerland just to help corral Stephen. Right. But apparently one of them works at the, uh, the museum. The museum. Yeah. Like, like, huh? Yeah, at the museum, Stephen pleads with JB to not admit anyone into the museum as he's being followed. A request the security guards finds absolutely absurd as they're a public museum. I mean, come on, that was kind of funny. He's like, yes. we're, we're a museum. Everybody comes in here at three. Yeah. Yeah, dude, you're crazy. Right. <laughs> Scotty. What do you call him, Scotty or something yeah, like I was, that? I was actually going to ask you, because he keeps calling him a different name, is that one of the personas? No, he just oh, doesn't, doesn't care about who he is either. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Wasn't sure. He's like Donna. He doesn't care who the hell he is. <laughs> yeah. Call oh, okay. him dirt for that matter. <laughs> but Arthur Harrow is astonished to find Stephen at the museum. He thought Stephen Grant was an alias. Unfortunately for Stephen, it appears several of his colleagues at the museum are also acolytes of Haro. Stephen swears he doesn't have this zealot scarab beetle. Well, not so much. It's not his scarab. It belongs to the Egyptian deity 
Amit. Harrow explains the only people who should fear Amit are evildoers. She had grown wary of waiting for sinners to commit their crimes before punishing them. After all, her judgment surveys their entire lives, past, present, and future. She not only knows what they've done, but also what they will do. That really makes me wonder about that woman now. Oh yeah, she just wants to rid the world of evil, but she was betrayed by her insolent fellow gods and her own avatar. <laughs> oh, blue people. Yes. <laughs> Haro <laughs> reasons with Stephen that he understands how madding it is to have that relentless voice in his head. Yeah, that would be maddening as well. Yes. <laughs> as he grasps Stephen's hands, the scales of judgment on his forearm are undecided on Stephen as the scales continue to shift from side to side. Scales don't know what to do. There's so many people to judge. Yes. <laughs> I was wondering if that's what it was. Yep, had to be. Harrow confirms that there is chaos within Stephen. You okay, think? stop stop right there because <laughs> I have a question. First of all, I wasn't sure if he said chaos. I'm like, okay. Now chaos can be taken obviously multiple ways. You know, yes. the the craziness because of the DID and everybody in him. But we also know that chaos magic is what's inside Wanda and yes. what Doctor Strange is dealing with and he who remains. So are they going to tie all of this together with chaos magic? Because that would be another way to just pull them right in. Or right. are we just thinking chaos is as in plain old normal chaos? I just thought it was the uh, evil agency that from Get Smart. <laughs> <laughs> nice. There's your boomer reference. <laughs> Absolutely. Give me that shoe phone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, uh, seriously, though, I didn't get the impression of the are going to link him that way. I think he's just come across somebody that with all the multiple personalities that uh, he can't be read. That's an Occam's razor explanation, the most simplest one. But uh, I think that's it. I don't think they are going to tie it. They, at least that's my take. Right. I kind of agree as well is that it just couldn't figure out which person inside him to try to judge because there was just way too many. See, that's <laughs> why I, I wanted to ask, because I'm wondering if one little kind of throwaway line would be how they pull him in right. all this and, other. Because yeah, they do know. it so often. It's like one little yep. thread gets pulled. <laughs> or it could be the conscious blocking any judgment, too. True. I didn't think of that at all. Yep. Because, hmm. yeah, you figure Stephen is not a bad guy. He's probably never hurt anybody in his life. But Mark is... <laughs> Mark something yeah. else. And then, yeah, yeah, Mark's completely different. So that's... It, whoever else is in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I read one theory that uh, they think Stephen is Mark's creation to protect himself from going insane. Ooh. It's an interesting theory. Yeah. It's like Fight Club. Right. But in reverse... <laughs> oh, okay. And the the wimp is uh, protecting the real guy, Mark Spector. But Mark wants to get out. And I don't know. That's a you can go down that rabbit hole if you want. Right. Oh, great! But, I know what I'm doing this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> As he closes out his shift at the museum, Stephen is aggressively pursued by a beastly jackal. Over the yeah. museum speakers, Haro demands Stephen relinquish the scarab, or he'll be torn apart. Will he? Will he? Though? Yeah. <laughs> As he seeks refuge in the men's restroom with the jackal on the other side, his reflection pleads that he can save them as long as he doesn't fight him. Oh, God, that was so weird. Yes. And so <laughs> awesome how they did that camera angle. Yep. Steven does not believe this is real, but his reflection assures him he's <laughs> real. This is real. Giving up control of his body, he's suddenly enveloped in ceremonial armor, taking control of the situation 
and defeating the monstrous creature. Now, how is Stephen going to explain all the damage in the museum the next day? <laughs> I, I just wonder if we're going to walk right into, I mean, Moon Knight walked towards the camera, and he must be walking towards uh, Harrow, I guess. Right. <laughs> Wherever the microphone is. Well, I'm sure everything's going to be cleaned up, and it's like it never happened, so he won't realize. He'll think that it was like another dream or something. Right. Because doesn't he have, like, healing <laughs> I don't see how. or something? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And man, he beat the crap. I loved, I loved how the thing that was trying to kill him was like, ah, crap, like trying yeah. to get away. I didn't know that sounds horrible. But it's like, you see it like trying to claw, claw its way out of the bathroom and get yeah. dragged back in. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where they're going to go from here. Well, get to see more of Moon Knight because the name of the show is Moon Knight. That yeah. makes sense. It's not <laughs> yeah. a Stephen Grant show. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's why I'm going to miss him. <laughs> Boy, so who wants to get into some Easter eggs? I'm happy I found one. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So good old Stephen is having a a rough go of it lately, but with all that constant sleepwalking, more like sleep crusading or sleep pummeling. Oh, did you got, you know, I got a uh, Batman vibe through that too. You guys see the Batman movie yet? Yes. No, I haven't seen it. Well, Batman pummels one guy. I mean, he doesn't stop pummeling this one guy and it seems like Moon we're like a little prone to the same thing, nonstop beating. Yep. I so did read about even, that. Huh? That Moon Knight doesn't stop until they're basically either dead or just a pulp. That's <laughs> pretty much what yeah. it is. It's like he doesn't know where to stop. Yeah. Yeah. I actually hope he does walk into the museum and chases after Harrow. <laughs> that would be harrowing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, things get weirder when he finds a burner phone buried in the wall of his London flat. He takes it out, checks it. He sees that he's missed a million calls or so from someone named Layla. Uh, Stephen doesn't know anyone named Layla. He also doesn't know anyone named Duchamp, but which is the only other name we see on the phone during its scroll. Duchamp is a major, major Easter egg, and will probably have Moon Knight fans screaming. That's because in the comics, Jean-Paul Duchamp is Mark Spector as well. Everything. He, he's Spector's best friend, pilot, sidekick, surrogate family. There's arguably no one in Moon Knight's life who was close to him than Jean-Paul Duchamp. The uh, friendship goes all the way back to the beginning, too. Jean-Paul, a.k.a. Frenchy, debuted in Werewolf by Night number 32 alongside Moon Knight way back in 1975. It's just about when I picked it up, too. Yep. Over the course of Moon Knight's incredibly varied story, Jean-Paul has pretty much remained by his side every step of the way. It was revealed that Jean-Paul, who is gay, has an unrequited crush on Mark dating back to the days as their mercenary buds, long before all the Conchu stuff happened. This is a big deal because on the whole, the Moon Knight TV show doesn't really have much in common with the Moon Knight comics, at least canically. The spirit is there, for sure, but a lot of the Moon Knight supporting cast is, are missing in action. This brief reference to Duchamp implies that a lot of the comics lore could make its way into the MCU at some point. Of course, we need more gay representation in the MCU anyway. I don't know. I, th- I thought they just teased Duchamp and they're not going to use him at all. Right. I mean, he did call. I thought it was just a tease. Again, six episodes. How are they going to fit all this stuff in there? Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Now I'm like, what if Duchamp is the one he's calling to give his updates as Mark? Yeah. <laughs> Just because well, he only called once and then a whole thing. And if he's like everything to him, yeah, yeah there's a thought. Yeah. Only one call, though. Layla, the wife. I guess Wait, she's going to be. supposed com- to be his wife? Oops. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I don't know. I, this iteration is different. She's going to appear in the show. I guess the, the same person I referred to earlier, they got four of the, what did they call the discs? I did see her in one of the previews. Yeah. Okay. One of the screeners. She's going to be, I guess she's pretty good, according to whoever reviewed, had the four screeners. Anyway, a little amateur talk. When Arthur Harrow confronts Stephen Grant at the museum, he asks him one very important question. Do you know Amit? 
As you can piece together, Harrow is a cult leader who follows the Egyptian demoness Amit. He enacted her judgment on Earth, using his god-demon given power to weigh the good and evil a person has done or will ever do. And then he passes final judgment. Yeah, make him turn gray and <laughs> shrivel. And... Yeah, just tuck the life force yeah. right out of If you're found guilty, you're dead. And you're dead forever. In Egyptian religion, Amit, known as the devourer of the dead and the eater of hearts, two really metal nicknames that allude to her role in the afterlife rituals. She didn't strike me as a good guy. No. Upon death, a person's heart was believed to be judged by Anubis, the Egyptian god of death. If that heart were found not to be pure, it would be fed to Amit, and the person would die a second time, this time for good. So Amit wasn't really considered a god because she was more feared than worshipped. Oh, and she had the head of a crocodile, and her body was a half-lion and hippopotamus. We saw a few hippopotamus toys in the uh, gift shop. As for the comics, Amit played a larger role in 2016 run by Jeff Lemire, an artist Craig Smallwin, and, and colorist Jordi Belair. In the comics, Amit, identified as Amut, which is just another spelling of Amit, took the form of Dr. Amit, a psychologist in charge of the mental ward where Mark was imprisoned, Mark Spector. She had the head That's of a crocodile. Yeah. It is pretty convoluted. She had the head of a crocodile, but only the body built more like a body built more for wearing pencil skirts and engaging in terrifying <laughs> battle and or soul, soul devouring antics. Well, and then there's contra- the sexy hippopotamus thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fiona's yeah. got that all tied up over in, uh, was it Ohio? There can only yeah. be one sexy hippo at a time. <laughs> and we get some conchu stuff. Throughout the episode, Steven is haunted by a, a jack giant with a massive bird skull who's wrapped up like a mummy and carrying a scepter. Yeah, that's not scary. No. It, it's a terrifying sight for sure. The nightmare's bird warrior is Khonshu, the Egyptian deity that Moon Knight serves. Well, did save his life. In the comics, mercenaries Mark Spector died at the foot of the Khonshu statue during a botched mission in Egypt, and sensing a worthy and or malleable avatar, Khonshu resurrected Mark and turned him into his avatar of vengeance on Earth. At least he didn't turn him blue. <laughs> Khonshu, or Khonshu, is a real Egyptian god of the moon. His name means travelers, which is believed to be a reference to the way the moon travels across the sky, and Moon is a protector of the travelers by night, too. Ancient Egyptians believed that Khonshu watched over all those who traveled at night, which is actually something that carried over into the comics. Yep, and they're still doing it. Off and on, depending on who was writing Moon Knight at the time, the vigilante would frequently proclaim that he exists to protect those who travel by night. Unless you're a vampire. <laughs> In recent years, Khonshu has become an even bigger part of Moon Knight's mythology, frequently appearing as another oftentimes antagonistic voice in Mark's head. Can't okay, win. I, I had seen a different, I guess, origin. I'm guessing it pretty much like every other comic, they kind of adjust it some. That Retro. he Yeah, <laughs> that he had died in the desert and some of Khonshu's followers had found him. Or he he was just about dead. And it was the same thing. It was a mission. And they took him to Kanchu's temple. And then the same thing, pretty much, Kanchu decided to give him the choice. Do you want to be my guy? Basically. <laughs> yeah, they've gone back and changed it a couple of times. Okay, and that's what I kind of figured. Although one thing I did think was interesting that I found was that he wears white because he doesn't want to hide. He wants them to see him coming. He wants the bad guys to know they're about to get an ass whooping, basically. Yeah, it was a lot of definition to this particular costume. A lot of times it's just like a white suit and it doesn't look like a mummy's band bandages in the comics right they go back and forth on that too i prefer bandages <laughs> yes. probably a heck of a thing to try to get on though yeah 
I don't think they explained that either. It just like, enveloped him. Thanks, that was kind of cool how it did it. And then you had yeah. like that image in the background. That was like kind of yeah. creepy. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. When Arthur Harrell finally catches up with Stephen Grant, he gives a, a mild-mannered quasi-hero a nice monologue, filling him in whatever so slightly is going on. It's maddening, isn't it? Says Harrell, invading Grant's personal space. The voice in your head, relentless, forever unsatisfied, no matter how how hard you try to please, it devours you, so there's nothing left but a hollow shell. This idea that the Egyptian gods possess avatars and slowly hollowed them out over time comes from the Jeff Lemire run on Moon Knight. In the comics, Mark's old pal Conchu eventually comes clean and reveals that he's only hanging out with Mark for his body. Wow. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Literally, Conchu wants to be reborn on Earth, and he needs a metaphysically hollowed out Mark so he can do that. And that's not nice. Whether or not he succeeds, hey, read the comic. <laughs> I think they're, they're still friends. <laughs> Actually, Mark Spector in the comic takes it really seriously. The voice in the fist of Conchu. I mean, he's into it now. It's a very good run and greatly influenced this series and directors Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead have stated. Well, we got together on with our cinematographer, Andrew Palermo, and we cracked open the Moon Knight run in particular. That's when the visuals of the show really crystallized for us, said Moorhead. The highly formal composition, the bright colors, there's actually a sense of match cutting. So it even informed our editing a little bit. Blendings of realities and all of that, that was a big, big part of it. That's why we just obsessed over that run. They weren't alone because head writer Jeremy Slater also shouted out Jeff Lemire and Greg Smallworks' work. Yeah, I didn't start reading it until I missed that run on Moon Knight. I only started picking it up again when they announced they were going to do the CB show. They actually had discontinued the comic and uh, decided to start it again because, duh, show's coming on. <laughs> so okay. how long did they discontinue? They just picked it up. There's only eight new issues. Oh, so really recent then. Yeah. They just started it back up. Okay. So last but not least, Crawley. He's the golden statue performer that Stephen confides in after work. Now, that's the, that's the vision of loneliness, talking to a street performer. Right. <laughs> I was so waiting for the guy to be like, really? Come on. <sighs> yes. Kill him. He's the ultimate test. If you don't crack with that guy sitting there, talk to him and bringing him you pralines. So longtime Moon Knight readers might think he looks familiar underneath all that gold paint. It's Goldfinger. And yes. with the long hair. <laughs> if you watch the credits, your sus suspicions will be confirmed. This is Crawley as he played by Sean Scott. In the comics, Crawley is one of Mark's oldest pals. Well, he's actually a friend of Mark's, Jake Lockley's persona, which is one we have yet to see in the Marvel show. Introduced in 1976, Marvel Spotlight number 28. Bertrand Crawley is an unhoused do-gooder who acts as an informant for Moon Knight and frequently gets swept up in his adventures. Will we ever see this version of Crawley speak or even be called Crawley? Maybe next week. Maybe not. I guess it's yeah. another thing they tossed. Yeah. I, in there. I kind of feel like that's probably true is, yeah, you'll get a, a reference and that'll be the end of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they could do this for years. I wouldn't say maybe it's like, okay, we're going to like plant these seeds. And then if this gets picked up for another right. season, they'll start like really sprouting everything. I didn't get the impression from Oscar Isaac that they were going to go beyond six. Right. But they, they always say that, though. Yes, they do. <laughs> no plans until it's an unrivaled success, you know. Like, yeah. oh, sure. I'll... What was it? What oh. if was supposed to be, uh, and Loki both yeah. were supposed to just be a one-time thing, and they've got seasons two coming, so. Yeah. And Marvel Zombies, that wasn't yes. planned until, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> well, we'd love to hear your thoughts on each and every episode this season. Our deadline for feedback is 6 p.m. Eastern every Friday during the season. 
You can send your feedback via email or audio to contact us at fangirlzone.com. Please review and rate us on iTunes and any other platform you use for your podcast with good ratings and reviews. It helps other fans of the show find us, and there are plenty of other Marvel podcasts out there. Tell your friends, and I hope you're enjoying our podcast. Don't forget to check out the other great Fangirl Zone podcasts. And then you can tell your friends in the mirror, too. Yeah. <laughs> You can go over to www.fangirlzone.com, check out all the ways to get a hold of us and all the various podcasts that we have up over there. We have so many things going on, and we definitely want to hear what you think about this and every other show. So for this episode of the Marvelous Post Blip Podcast, (laughs) I'm Steve. Anyway, if I'm going to have a girlfriend at some point, obviously can't have ankle restraints on my bed, can I? (laughs) i'm sean fangirl us and don't forget to check out all the qr codes in the show now because you never know what's gonna happen i missed it and this is mischievous dave and i used to have a voice in my head telling me to date hot tour guides but it turns out it was just an illusion (laughs) there is nothing wrong with your internet do not attempt to adjust your settings we are controlling the podcast We control the squealing and the screams. We can make your heart flutter, your eyes blur from tears, or sharpen your mind to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit back. We are in control of what you hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your setting. You are about to experience the awe and mystery known as the female mind. You are now entering the Fangirl Zone.